Hello and welcome to the Beautiful Mind Game podcast. We're back for another episode with myself, Millie, and Hams from Friday Night Counter-Attack. Today, we've got two very special guests with us. Um, welcome Sam and Tom onto the podcast from Kickabout Academy. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. How are you guys doing? Good, thank you. And Hams, how are you? I'm jet-lagged, so I'm just going to be pinching <laughs> on all these cookies here. Well, no, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for hosting us. It's a fantastic facility you've shown us, and I can't wait to really get out there and play more at the Kickabout Academy as well. So, Sam, we've been talking for a long period of time virtually, so it's really nice to see you in person. And Tom, I'm looking forward to seeing a lot more um, of what you've actually learned at the Kickabout Academy as well, what you can actually share our listeners about more the mindset and the, the development as a football coach and as a young football coach at that as well. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. That's going to be good. So, Millie, what do you have in store for the first? Uh, part of the podcast. So guys, basically, I was just wondering for both of you, you are coaches and I'm a footballer, but what made you get into coaching in the first place? My, uh, shall I start with you? Yeah. Um, well, for me, I mean, my sort of upbringing actually was a swimmer. So I swam Sheffield, uh, one of them who fortunately did it for six, seven times a week. Um, and I kind of got to 12 or 13 and got to a point of uh, extreme burnout. Um, didn't really have any friends because swimming, I would say, is quite an isolated environment. And the coaching I had was sort of great from a sort of technical, swimming is obviously quite a technical sport, but there wasn't really anything sort of like psychologically, um, you know, to help me. And I think when I probably look back now, I think to myself at 12, 13, I was probably struggling with depression. Uh, probably had mental health issues, but obviously back then it wasn't really spoken about as it is, you know, now it's quite easy to uh, speak about it. So, um, kind of then got into football, my dad was a coach, uh, ran a junior football team. So, I guess I kind of uh, got into it, um, first playing with, with my brother, so I've got three younger brothers, so I was playing football with them. Uh, got into a team at, I would have been 13, 14, so pretty late actually getting into football. Um, but my sort of experiences of coaching was again, you know, it was all about, um, I guess, sort of classic grassroots football. I would say, oh, you've got to you know, put everything on the pitch and, and die for your three points, even though you're only 14. Um, if you win, it's the best game in the world. If you lose, you know, your, your manager is bringing you in and having a bit of a pop at you. Um, and I just didn't understand it. I, I didn't understand why the F division, E division, D division, football, None of us were ever going to go on and play semi-professional, professionally. We were bang average amateur players. Um, wasn't about fun and enjoyment. So, uh, for me, initially, um, the reason I got into coaching was I just didn't like that culture. Um, I thought it was too much about tactical, technical, um, and I didn't think there was enough personal development. So, sort of fell into it really with my dad, started assisting him. Um, got to seventeen, I ended up taking. Uh, my youngest brother's team, who was nine at the time, I think we got to do the nice cup final and just sideline, felt very comfortable, really enjoyed it. And uh, suddenly decided that that's what I wanted to do, I wanted to be a coach. Um, and yeah, so it's kind of gone from there, really. Nice. Is that, so do you think that when you first took your first team, do you think that you kind of took your way to coach then, if you know what I mean? Do you yeah. think you kind of. Yeah, I do. I, th- I think I, when I first took over, so I would have 
it would have been under 11's team and my, I was put as the manager, I was only 17, 18, my dad was like the guy behind the scenes if you like, doing the admin. Um, and yes, it was about trying to help and develop it. Mm -hmm. But I would say I also fell into that trap of, oh, we've got to win, and if we don't win, it's the end of the world, and probably guilty of, you know, shouting at kids, um, which you can look back now and think, we were 11 years old, again, we were E Division, E Division, none of them are professional, none of them are semi-professional now, they'd be 17 now. Um, you can look back and think, oh, Bit, bit ridiculous really but um, so you know in one sense I did try and do that but I did also fall into that trap and I think uh, you know we've all been involved in football here is that the culture of football I'm not too sure I certainly felt that um, if I wasn't trying to get that team to win I'm looking over at the sideline and, and seeing the parents and probably feeling that external pressure and, um, I mean I often talk about now I think there's so much pressure for external validation just in society um, and maybe I sort of felt that a bit um, not too sure, but it, it's definitely something that I think I always had that intention. My dad would always say, like, the kids sort of love me and didn't so much be bothered about him because I always tried to make an effort with them and still wanted them to enjoy it, still wanted them to have fun. Um, but it's definitely something that's within, you know, what I'm doing now in coaching. I think sometimes we can get a little bit carried away by that and try and look good and try and win titles and try and win games and, and that's great, but, you know, it's, it's about kids enjoying it at the end of the day. Yeah. So yeah. It's great that you kind of developed that from a young age as well. Like it's great that you had that at a young age. Um Tom, like do you agree with that? What was your kind of story? No, I just agree with what Tom just said. Uh my story going into football, obviously I played from about six years old. Uh probably stopped at about 14, 15 years old. Uh for that love you a bit to be fair. Uh brother at the time was a really good footballer. Got an academy back at Chesterfield. Uh, he went from there really. When I stopped playing, I went on some side with these coaches. To be fair, they were looking enough to just like take me in. They, they had a good chat with me about coaching aspects and, and where stuff would go. Uh, from there, really, it went on to got my first coaching job. I worked up at uh, the FA Hub up at Thorncliffe. They were luckily enough to put me through my coaching badges, uh, especially my level one. Uh, which got me started. First ever shift I did. Obviously, I got chipped to the deep end of it and went to uh, <laughs> to deep end and asked to do a football coaching party. From there, uh, it started off with just development groups, Wildcats, which is run by FA, obviously, with them. Uh, and then from there on, obviously, I got lucky enough to get a team at the hub, uh, which then led on to now coaching three teams in six years. Uh, luckily enough, the owners and stuff that own Kickabout, they met me through there as well. So, from Thornton, it's been a pretty good six years moving forward. Worked there for about four years. Uh, done my level two now, coaching a team on 14s, it's in JPL. Obviously, there's been two junior teams, one a bit older, it's been good from there on. Well, just for our listeners, just do you want to explain what JPL is? Just so yeah, so the JPL Junior Premier League, uh, it was set up originally just to bridge the gap between grassroots football and academy football. Uh, it's trying to give players the chance that, that potentially don't get seen by academy footballers. Yeah. Uh, give them the chance to move forward and succeed into hopefully getting a trial or potentially looking to move on to a team that can benefit them moving forward in their footballing career. 
So these are the kind of players who do get rejected or do get overlooked, but they do get a second or a third chance and actually develop their skills and their actual um, talent going forward as well, right? Yeah, that's all we're about, really. Uh, we want to try and give the players every opportunity that we can. Uh, Sam's worked hard over the last probably six months, getting partnerships with clubs that we can potentially move players on to. Uh, it, it's been probably a long six months in that process yeah. trying, to, trying to get these partnerships together. That's why I shaved his beard, so it's not as old as younger than you actually is. But yeah, hopefully moving forward, we've, uh, we've got the two partnerships now, yeah. and hopefully we can start moving players in the right direction. No, that's absolutely fantastic. And just before we move on to the next stage, we've got our, we want to talk to you about your coaching philosophy each as well. And that's something that Sam and I have been speaking about quite a lot recently as well, which has been pretty good in terms of my development for coaching. So hopefully Sam will help me my assignment before I've got it next week as well in terms of how to do a really good uh, coaching presentation as well. But if you had to name two things you wish you learned before you became a coach, what would they be and why? So Sam, you start first. Great question. Um, the first thing would be not having to feel that you have to please anyone other than the player. Yeah. So I said sometimes you do feel pressure, uh, parents, you know, bless our parents are good at kick about the nice parents are, but I've got some horror stories with parents. Mm. Uh, my dad's had some horror stories with parents. Um, sometimes it is forgotten about that this is youth football and it's a kid. Um, and I think sort of probably earlier in my career in fairness, I was probably more trying to do sessions that the parents thought were good and do sessions that please the parents. Um, it, took me a, it took me a while to be fair, it took me to maybe 22, 23 to suddenly kind of go, who actually cares what they think? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if they're not happy, they'll have to go somewhere else because it's not about the parents, it's about the kids. Um, and that's, you know, what, what we do now, don't we? Yeah. Uh, you know, we obviously work with parents, you know, we, we explain what we're doing and why we're doing it in terms of our philosophy, and we'll probably talk about that in a minute, but, um, that would be the first thing, and, and I think the second thing would be, um, you know, similar to what I was just saying before, I think that sometimes you do kind of feel pressure to um, coach in a way that the culture is kind of set. So, um, me coming through like a grassroots environment, coaching is all about philosophy, about lots of instruction. Um, you've always got the toughness, if you're always talking, that's what good coaching is. Then you go to university, and obviously, university is a research institution, you know. You're looking at research that's done, um, and actually, that's not necessarily good coaching. It might be good coaching at a senior level, it might be good coaching in professional football, semi professional football, amateur football. But uh, at the grassroots, if we're actually you know, banging on the kids, telling them what to do, telling them what to do here, giving them the feedback here, um, suddenly they become reliant on you as the coach. So, um, that's definitely something I wish I'd you know, understood quite early on because my early coaching was. Um, me just rambling on all the time, talking all the time. I thought that was good coaching, and actually, when I look back, it probably kind of stops some of the players from progressing forward, really. Um, so, yeah, great question. Those would be my two things personally. It's kind of like with me as a, as a football podcaster, so I talk too much more than I need to talk as well. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I everyone agrees with me. I'm like, are you not going to get steep or what? I'm, like, oh, no, I'm too excited, way too excited. But no, Tom, what two more could you add to that? Just to what I'm I think mainly it's just a lot of coaches are, are very, they tell the kids what to do a lot. I don't think they allow the kids to really learn themselves and make the mistakes. I think a lot of times when I made a mistake, it was you always used to worry. 
yeah. about what coach or parent would say, rather than thinking, well, I've made that mistake, how can I learn not to make that mistake again? I think a lot of kids nowadays are just uh, too conscious about what people are going to think. Just, just, I think they need to relax a lot more, in which we're trying to set in a kickback, it's just trying to make these lads relax on pitch, uh, not worry about what parents or coaches are going to say, give them everything they can. I think my other one is, is a big one is just letting the kids have the freedom on pitch. It's just they've got to. A lot of coaches look at Man City, Man U, how they play and trying to put it into grassroots teams. I think the coaches have all got different philosophies and principles and I think letting them play a certain way, play one-two touch football, well if they go into a non-league team for example, potentially might not play one-two touch football. Can they play a long pass over top of defenders? I think sometimes a lot of people just take into consideration what professionals at top end are doing rather than just focusing on everyone else around them. What there's, there's thousands and thousands of teams out there that you might get a chance to play for. And I don't think they really get a chance to, to look at them teams and think, well, can I play that football as well? A lot of teams look to play these short passes, not really long balls, but can you also play these long passes that potentially you're going to have to do if you're under a cost or if you're under pressure a lot of time on the pitch. Good and dark, kick out. Millie, anything else before we move on to the next topic? Um, just in terms, for me, just in terms of philosophy, I'd like to bring in, um, you coach both males and females, you coach both girls and boys, what's your kind of thoughts? Are there any differences between coaching females and males? Um, and how does your philosophy kind of encompass that? Really interesting questions to be fair. Um, I mean, when I first took over in women's football, I, I'd always been involved in men's. I'd coached girls at like summer camps and football camps, but I never actually took a girls team. So um, I did notice differences in terms of, I think girls are so much more open. I think they will tell you what they think more. Um, you know, one of the things that really amazed me in my time in, uh, in amateur football is just if, if anyone's like struggling with depression and stuff like that, they're very easy to come and tell you that. So, um, I think as a coach, I always felt more um, almost relaxed in, in sort of a women's football environment. I almost kind of enjoyed it more. Um, I always felt with women's football, again at the amateur level, and, and that's the only level I can talk about, was just a nice, cool environment. So, um, as a coach, my philosophy would almost be um, trying to be sort of more talkative to players. I felt that sometimes when you're in men's football, it's got to be more serious. And that's not because it's a girl or a boy, it's just I think that's the culture that's developed. Um, and I, I really like that. Um, you know, in terms of philosophy, in terms of coaching, um, I always felt that women when I was involved with, with women's football wanted more information and I really liked that. Um, my sort of experiences in the in boys and men's is maybe it's just sort of an ego thing again with the culture of how football's developed in this country, but kind of think they know everything and, and I used to love that because um, I don't know everything as a coach, you know, I sort of come from a grassroots background. I think I've got a decent knowledge base now with, with doing a master's degree, but um, I think as a player you should always be a sponge, I think you should try and learn as much as you can. Um, but to be fair, I mean, we're not yet at a stage where we've got girls teams that kick about. Uh, we hope to 
you know, do that in the next couple of years. Um, but in terms of coaching philosophy, I don't think there's too much difference really in terms of what you do. Um, you know, I'm very much someone who's kind of experienced in women's football a lot. It's ridiculous, I think, how uh, underdeveloped. I don't know, you know your thoughts on that. Um, and sometimes I think there's a bit too much about, oh, we should treat girls differently to boys, and I think it's ridiculous. Um, so my philosophy personally was kind of always just, um, you know, try and keep it as uh, similar as possible. I think there's obviously stuff you have to be aware of. Uh, menstrual cycle would be one. That's something that we were involved in women's football as a male coaching team. We're very aware of that. We needed to go and learn about that because we didn't know a lot about it. Um, and that would be a big thing for you know, anyone involved in girls football. If you are a male coach, you do need to understand that because uh, you know, there were times where perhaps players were not performing well or uh, maybe struggling and you're kind of thinking what's up with you and then, then maybe find out you know, players on the menstrual side. But, uh, not so much, really good question actually, really interesting question. Um, but I don't know, it's, um, I don't know if you've got any thoughts to add on to that. Yeah, I really agree with you, I think. Obviously, philosophy didn't change that much between the teams I've had. The girls' team was really mostly girls, probably one or two. It was the first ever time in the team, first ever time playing football, really outside of, of a small development group kind of thing. So, going from that into a boys' team that's been established for three, four years and, and are up there, we want to best in Sheffield. It's, it, want to, it, it were hard to interchange between both. Uh, your sessions, you look for sessions to start off with, we being the first team or a girls team, you look for sessions on internet and it's all these fancy drills that you look around and it's under 18 teams are doing anything but I can take that into training and you've, you've got to really ship it back and there weren't that much out there to ship it back so you really had to think about what you were doing on a training session in the game and really learn from your experience that you're getting. It was always going to be hard going into a session as my first team, not knowing 100%, but clean up, I've got a lot of good coaches around that have been in football for a good four, five, six years, so I can get experience in it and judge from them. Uh, just the philosophy didn't really change. I think there were a lot more feedback to start off with with the girls' team, but I think that's just because they don't just started up. I don't think it was anything that I really would have changed, knowing anything now. Uh, Again, it's just the boys. The boys, obviously, I think you're right, Sam. I think there's a lot more pressure from parents, coaches at boys' level. I think it's a bit more relaxed at girls. Whether that's anything to do with gender or anything, I don't know. Maybe it would just parents see it as a bit more of a, a fun thing as girls' side of it, uh, obviously. It'd be actually interesting to see girl teams higher up. Obviously, I'm not the chance at senior level or any like, academy sections in teams or TCs. So it'd be interesting to see whether it's different with them, whether it's still competitive, uh, but yeah. It's a really interesting question because I do think, and I don't know your thoughts on this, but I do think there's a bit of stigma of uh, girls football is because the girls are boys, it's good the boys. And my opinion is football in men has just developed more in this country. It was banned for so many years women's football, so it's just different, man, you know. When I was at Oakley Town, we had senior players that had never played football before, never played for a team in the 21, 22, 23. Now, you probably wouldn't have that in boys because they maybe had the opportunities earlier. If you think about girls football now, you know, again, 10 years ago, you didn't really see those opportunities. So players within the women's game are coming through later. 
And that's really interesting as a coach because you're working with more, what I would say, um, less rounded players, so they're very raw. And sometimes you do have to give a little bit more feedback, be that technical, be that tactical. Um, whereas obviously when you're working with a men's team, it's more than likely that those players have probably been in football from the age of five, age of seven. Um, so that's maybe where, I'm not so sure if that changes the philosophy, maybe that just changes in, in terms of the content that you're coaching. But really interesting question. Really yeah, interesting. no, I completely agree with you. I, for me, I think that you're 100% right, like the philosophy stays the same, but maybe the coaching points do change because it is football at the end of the day, but I mean, discrepancy between male and female is different, so you've got to act accordingly, and I think you're spot on with it, yeah. So guys, you mentioned Kickabout before. Just tell us a little bit about the Kickabout Academy. How did it come about? What were the initiatives? It, it, it were really Scott and the, uh, the previous manager. Uh, they had an idea of a football centre, they first thought about opening just a 5v5 pitch indoor, not many places doing indoor around here. Uh, and then they started looking around. Uh, they actually found a business down in Bournemouth, just near Paul. Uh, they actually make the equipment down there, uh, which I'll show you later. Uh, so they make all the equipment down there. It's, it's run by a previous, I think it's a Bournemouth player, if I'm correct. Uh, so yeah, they make all the equipment. Obviously, they come up with the idea, gone down, seen the equipment, they've bought it, and then it really went from there. So, decided to I come on board in September, basically, just put walls up, equipment started to arrive, no fashion set for lead. So, it, it was good to come on board at that stage, because you can see how it's all set up, how everything works. And are you from Sheffield as well? Yeah, I, I live about 10 minutes away from here, so it's uh, not, not bad. Not my ride in the morning when I'm uh, just woke up half an hour late. But, yeah. <laughs> no excuses for being late now as well. No, no. especially the ones watching this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's gone from there. Uh, weren't probably the best time to open. Uh, obviously, the owner has got another unit and a business around the corner. So yeah. when it's come available, it were it really jumped on the idea of having this unit. Uh, we opened in. December 2020, we're due to open in September time-ish, obviously lockdowns and stuff and Covid interrupts us quite a bit, so we opened in December for about three weeks, got shut down again, opened again in April time and, and luckily enough we've been not hit too bad since then moving forward. And how did you feel about that personally, like from the mental side of things as well, going into work, going out of work? It, it, it were hard, obviously like coming to, from a job that I've been at for about four and a half years to come to a, a new business that were starting up, there were nothing really in place at the time when I come on so... Because it is a big risk as well for a brand new business to take It is, like it is, obviously it weren't the best time, there were a lot of decisions to be made as well at the same time I'm, I'm, from my point of view of do I do it, don't I do it, well, I'm having a secure job that I enjoy, business is good. Uh, but I took the plunge and we are probably the best decision I've made going forward. Uh, but yeah, it, it was a tough time. It were, it were mentally hard, we were getting ready to open up and then the announcement would come and you're like a bit, a bit takes a down in dumps, aren't you? Just, you're, not, you're not really getting time to do anything and then we have to wait another three months and then we come back and we've got everything ready, we've got all the bookings in. 
we're here for three weeks and we shut down again. And you're like, we couldn't get a rhythm. It was it were hard to get going to start off with. Obviously, it were hard on advertising. We couldn't have people in. We couldn't even have anyone to come up round. Uh, so to try and publicise it and advertise what we're trying to offer, we had people being able to come and see it. We're hard. Uh, when we first opened, it would drop off and pick up only. Couldn't have any adults and not bother coaches. So for a new business to to open up where the adults went hard inside, kids had to be dropped off. They can't really watch the kids and see what they're doing. To be trusted, to be able to get the kids to jump off a ride anyway, because, yeah, like I said, it, there were no parents around, parents didn't know coaches, they didn't know what the kids were doing. So it, it was always hard to start off with. Obviously, the more and more people come, the more and more people found out about us. And, and luckily enough, we, uh, we get a lot of parties and, and sessions now that people come down to. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. So easy, isn't it? Not really, I mean, I suppose you're sort of a bit about the centre there. Um, in, in terms of the academy, um, I guess that's been going sort of similar time frame, has it? Yeah, the academy was set up really before the centre, so we started trials for them probably August, July time uh, in. 2020, luckily enough, we're allowed, we have been our goal, we can continue training. Uh, most of the time, obviously, most of the time we were in lockdown, so it was hard to get again. Luckily enough, we've got three teams set up, so. So, so this explain what kind of teams they are for us? Yeah, so there's teams we've got at the minute, we started off with, we had under 13s, no, sorry, we had under 14s, 15s, and 16s uh, to start off with. Uh, the under 16s were really talented group to be fair. Uh, most of them all come from the same junior side at grassroots level. So luckily enough we've been playing both sides and Sundays together. They really clicked. Uh, the 14s and 13, no sorry, 14s and 15s were also a, a really good uh, age group to have. Both were got quite far in cups, both got to quarters in the cups that they played in. So it, it was good to have successful teams in this first year uh, moving forward. Uh, going forward into this season, we've had the under 13s, 14s, and 15s. We did have 18s at the start of the year, but it was just at that age group where players were moving on to different teams. Uh, so, yeah, that, that ended probably mid season this season where under teams folded. Yeah. But we've still got three teams now that, again, all three teams I think have been really productive, aren't they? Had a successful year again, and then moving into next season, we're having six teams moving forward. So hopefully, we can grow it even more. So, just a quick question for me: Where do these players come from? And kind of is it? I know you're into development, developing yep. the player, but are these players at different teams as well, or do they come to you? Uh, so they're at different teams as well. So they play both Saturdays and Sundays. I think out of the full uh, academy, we've probably got two players that don't play some football. So uh, out of the what, 45, 50 kids that we've had over this season, there's only two that don't play Sundays. So uh, they all have to contend with playing Saturday, Sundays, training twice, three times a week. Uh, so in some aspects, we have to be careful on how much time we're giving them. Think about injuries and stuff like that, because if you're playing the amount of games and training the amount of play, it's going to be hard to to get a full season without any picking up any injuries with the amount they do it. 
Find the right balance as well between school, social life, and football. Yeah, everything obviously. There's quite a few players that have got season tickets, so Wednesday United. Uh, the team players that we've got in. We're in Sheffield, by the way, that's when we're Wednesday. Like Sheffield, Wednesday, Sheffield United. Well. So I should have introduced that as well. Massive football scene, man. Big hotbed for football right here. Or Wednesday, are uh, so players that we've got, I think furthest one probably travels from Wakefield. I think that's his furthest player. Uh, there's a lot of players locally. Uh, I think most of them live in and around Sheffield, so it's not too far. Uh, there's probably, I know under 14s, I've probably got six or seven different teams out of what we've got. So from all to come together as one team, they've gelled quite well this season. I don't know about the 15s, I think they've gelled quite well. Yeah. We've probably got five or six teams in, in that team. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a really interesting challenge because, um, I mean, I think when Scott and Tom asked me to come in, I mean, initially I was just doing the 15s, the head coach, Vasco, and I guess it's a bit of a consultant, and then, um, you know, my sort of reading was trying to develop the vision. So, what we're trying to do here. Um, and for me, we have all this fantastic equipment, as you'll see later. Um, you know, we've got VR camera, we've got stats balls, we're obviously training at Fulton, fantastic uh, facilities. And you know, as you just asked, uh, you know, we've got all these kids playing for the grassroots teams, but they're also playing for us. So what's what's the sort of purpose here, what we're trying to do? Um, and I guess as you know, you, you sort of mentioned earlier, in my mind it was well, um, this is almost I think uh, Scott, the uh, the boss said this was like the academy experience. So surely it makes sense for us to be doing then if we're offering this academy experience is so much ruminating like an academy. Um, the process that we undertake uh, undertook sorry was uh, you know creating a curriculum and game model um, that is what an academy sort of level player would be expected to do. Um, so we, we look at stuff like playing through the lines, receiving the ball through the lines, uh, movement on and off the ball. I don't know about yourself, I think that's a massive difference between amateur and semi professional football players. Um, and really it was that was undertaking that process which we kind of in mid-season really in fairness but it's, it's a really interesting uh, challenge because obviously you're the head coach you've got 15 16 players um, but you know as you just said then you've got to be aware that these lads predominantly are playing for the grassroots teams they've also got school football um, and really the sort of culture i would say that has developed be that intentional or not be that what we initially wanted was it's almost been like a sort of extra uh, package for these players. Um, it's certainly challenging as a coach because sometimes you turn up on the Monday and you're like full squad of 16, sometimes you turn up and you only have eight players. Um, we're following an academy curriculum here and you know that obviously curriculum requires a certain amount of players to perform the session so uh, there's certainly a lot of adapting from us. Um, but it, it's good, I think the players enjoy it. I think what it provides these grassroots players with, um, you know, and I'm not, you know, obviously bad enough, you know, same thing against grassroots football, but it's a certain level of coaching. Um, and often that coaching is, you know, a level one coach. Me, basically. Uh, a, a certain amount of experience. Um, what we're trying to do here is give that next level of coaching. So we're not shouting all the time, giving all the answers. We're actually trying to get players to think about the decision making, the, the strategic decisions in the game. Me and Tom will often not really say anything during the game up in a bit of praise. Then when we bring them in, we do four ten minutes in the gym rather than the two forty fives or two forties. Uh, we'll often ask them questions. So uh, you know, could you press here? Well, what's your press look like? We're talking about you know pressing triggers. Well, what is the trigger? We'll often try and ask them strategic questions because 
Um, but for me, if you've got something academic, you expect it to know that. So it's very important that we are helping develop that understanding rather than just go, hey, you've got there's the answer, X, Y, and Z, you do this, you'll be okay. Um, it's not all about winning's good. I think winning is great, it's great when you win. But I would say winning at what cost? Um, you know, you can have a team that wins every single game, you win the cup final, players don't have any that fail because they're used to someone telling them all the time, do this, do this, do this. Um, the player that can think for themselves when you get to an academy, and you know, as you correctly said earlier, they're not playing one specific formation, one specific uh, drill. Man City plays some beautiful football. We've come up against a lot of teams in the JPL that sort of play that style, and I think that's great, and I really admire that. But my issue is if they move to semi pro and they're suddenly playing long ball, they're used to having a bit of time on the ball or one or two sort of chances with long ball, got to get out. They're going to fail, aren't they? You know, they're not going to get there. So, um, yeah, I feel like I've rambled a bit there. Hamza will tell you how I normally do that. So I'm, I'm off that, guys. But I'll probably answer the question. It was one of his better rambles as well. What I really like about that as well is the fact that you're putting what ownership on the kids and you're bridging that gap between grassroots and academy football, which will relate to a lot of parents out there who don't know the next step from grassroots, who don't know how else they can kind of push their kids further. And that's something that you're doing because you're showing ownership but you're also giving the, the responsibility to these kids because it's like you said it's not about winning it's about how they develop because I'm pretty sure if you guys have sort of won the JPL for the next three years but you get three players in Premier League teams over the next 10 years that would mean more to you than winning the cup for yourself would I be right or would I be wrong? But it, for me it's about what we're doing here you know I think Scott's initial vision and correct me if I'm wrong Tom was there's so many players that don't make it and they come out of these academy systems and they just end up playing football. And for me, you know, I'm looking at some of the players we work with. Yes, they might not be good enough to be professional. Yes, they might not even be good enough to be semi-professional. But surely the ball that's standing where they should be playing at would at least get paid in football. Um, I look at some of the players, I'm now in the 15s and I hate to think that if any of them might be playing football in a couple of years time, it's a waste of talent. Um, so what we're trying to do here is create a system that's ultimately going to you know, progress players on. Um, you know, we're not the sort of team or culture here that we want to win so we'll keep these players. Many horror stories I've heard over the years where uh, academy scouts come speak to the manager and he turns them down or she turns them down because he wants them, or she wants them to, to help win the league. Uh, I think we wonder about it. And, you know, if, if a player is ready to be moved on, then he moves on. Uh, and be that the cost of us winning the JPL bit, the cost of us losing every game for me, it doesn't matter. It's about moving players on, it's about getting those partnerships. You know, we've got a fantastic partnership with Bradford Park Avenue. Um, they've got a fantastic setup up there. We took our under 15s and a couple of the under 14 players up there the other week. Um, and you know, that gives them the academy experience. They're all about standards, they're all about mindset. And those guys have to adapt to that. Um, so yeah, I don't know if there's anything to add to that. No, I think you're interested to we do try and give players the best possible chance to get as high as they possibly can. I think another thing to think about is we might get players in from EOD Division Football, which is the highest in grassroots level, but if we can get them to B Division, we've still done the job basically, we're still getting them to the highest possible place they can get to. I think obviously we need to take into consideration that not everyone's got the ability that some of others have. If we can just bring up a kid or player in one way, then that causes success. Whether that be from A Division football to Premier League football, or whether it's from E Division football to D Division football, at least we progress that kid in some way.
No, that's really good. Really well done. And just to end this segment as well, we'll have a quick five questions for you guys. Um, so first one is something that I was thinking about when I was in Miami, because Millie was asking about some questions. I thought, you know what? This has really stuck out to me when I was learning about the difference between American coaches and British coaches as well. So for both of you, Sam going first, what's been the main, what's the word? What's been the main sacrifice you've had in your personal life to develop your coaching career? And the same to you as well. So what's been the main sacrifice that has it benefited you going further? Yeah, well for me, I mean, I went to Leeds Becky, I had three great years up there. Um, I had a good balance of going out and having a good time as well as uh, coaching. But I kind of come away from that experience and thought, you know, I've now got this degree, I've, I've managed to get the first in it and that's great, but I don't feel that my coaching's actually progressed. Mm. Um, and I made a very conscious decision for the next two years that, oh, I was just going to lose coaches as much as I can. Uh, I ended up getting a job with a, a, another developmental academy. Um, I think I was coaching six nights a week. Uh, the sacrifice there was lost contact with a lot of friends. Um, wasn't able to go out on weeknights. Wasn't able to pop back up to Leeds and uh, you know go out with the uh, you know surf club as a, as a would have for those few years, for example. Um, and then you know lockdowns come again. I think it was a bit of a lonely time for everyone. Um, you know, and for me through that period is I set up the podcast, but it was about okay. Uh, I could sit here and watch TV for the next couple of months. You know, I want to. You know, I'm probably doing that, but actually, I've got a lot of time on my hands. I'm not coaching. I need to really develop my knowledge in uh, you know area of expertise here. And luckily enough, I was obviously doing the masters at the time. Um, you know, that kept me busy. But um, you know, like when I took the job at Oxford Trains, women. Step ten of the Vanishing's football, going to go to town a few months later, step eight. Um, the sacrifice there was I was driving an hour and an hour and a half, you know, on a Thursday night to train, an hour and a half back. Um, Sunday I'm driving an hour and a half, an hour and a half back, giving a lot of my time, volunteer for the experience. And, and ultimately, what that meant was I wasn't able to go out on a Saturday with my friends, uh, couldn't go to the pub on a Thursday night. So, uh, for me, the, the biggest challenge, and to be fair, it's still a challenge now, is uh, the sacrifice of wanting to have a career of coaching and progress as a coach to your personal life and your personal development. Uh, you know, I've had someone get in touch with me yesterday about a potential opportunity uh, working in semi-professional women's football. That's great. If I take that opportunity, I'm, I'm not going to have any free time. So I have to weigh up in my mind that's potentially something that could be huge for me, but what's the personal cost? I'm not going to be able to go out with my friends, not going to be able to do this, not going to be able to do that. So, um, don't know if it's the same Tom, I'm intrigued for his answer, but for me personally that, that's, that's been a big challenge. Uh, trying to get that balance right between professional development but also enjoying yourself because let's be right, you need a one life, you've got to find that balance and it's, uh, it's a bit difficult I have to say, but yeah. No, I just agree with you, it's fair, probably in the same boat, a lot of family events, friends, birthdays that we've probably missed, not being able to go out, obviously since I've, I've been working since I was 16, Leisure industry is probably not the most flexible time to work Saturday like Sundays, work evenings. So a lot of time you don't really get that chance to go out. Or if you do go out, it's your own sacrifice because you're waking up next morning and to go to work three hours after you got in, feeling shopping all day. So it's... Uh, I've got that exactly done that. No, no, I'll never do that for the coach. Uh, but moving forward, obviously, for me, if you sacrifice something now, potentially you can get it back later on in life. Uh, I think that's a big thing. For, for me, luckily enough, I've got friends and family that accept what I'm doing at the minute and what my role is. So, luckily enough, I get the chance to, yeah, I might have to miss a few 
events that at least I'm working hard for what I'm doing now and hopefully in years to come I can uh, make it back up to them in, in, in other ways. Fantastic. Definitely. Just following on from that actually, um, where, I've got a question, where do you guys see yourself in five years time? My experience had always been in youth football, and I was very conscious that I wanted to get into uh, senior, uh, be that in the women's game or the men's game, and end up getting into the women's game. Um, circumstances happened, you know, coming here through a friend who introduced me, really enjoyed uh, what I've done here and really liked the project. So it's a bit of a tough question, but I'd like to think that we're building something here. Yeah. Um, we've you know, put a lot of stuff in place now, we've got big plans over the next five years and, and that's really exciting to be a part of that. Uh, but there is a bit of me that's itching to get back in, in, in senior football. Uh, you know, youth football's great, but you do also love that senior football where you've got the player management. Um, you don't really have that in youth football because, you know, it's a 14 year old kid, a 13 year old kid, so, you know, we've been messaging that kid, oh, hold on to that, but I used to love that. You know, I used to do, spend a lot of my time doing that, which again is another sacrifice. But um, I'd like to think I'd get somewhere in, in, in a senior game for, uh, personally. Uh, I need to go in with badges. Um, done a lot of time at uni and kind of almost forgot about the badges. And uh, I need to go and get the UEFA B done or forget the UEFA A done. But uh, I'd like to think by the time we've got a, a, a good, successful academy from a, a, you know, this point of view of kickback where we're producing players to uh, senior, semi professional clubs. Hopefully we might see a couple and we might be able to go and watch them at Bradford Park Avenues or, or the partner clubs. Um, but personally, from coaching, you know, I need to get on with the badges and hopefully you know, I might be coaching you in a couple of years. Never know, do you? Never know. No, I just agree with Sam. Uh, obviously, there's a lot going off at the minute. Kick about uh, moving forward, hopefully. Like Sam says, we've got a plan moving forward that hopefully we can progress. I think one of our main goals that we keep speaking about is potentially can we get one in America? Which I think, <laughs> whether we're uh, overthinking stuff. We'll, we'll be looking at Amazon, aren't we? Yeah. yeah well, that, that could be us that. Uh, whether we're overthinking it or being a bit optimistic, I think that could be something. But if you dream big, sometimes you get it, sometimes you just keep working on until you get that. So, obviously, over the next five years, it's going to be a lot of work and it's going to be a hell of a lot of players that walk through our door. So even if we affect one person's life and in five years at least we've uh, affected someone, which is, is better than not. So hopefully we can at least get someone as high as possible can and uh, hopefully be sat on TV in five years time watching someone at that the highest level they can get. We'll be one of them, won't we? No, I coach them. I've coached him. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure it's <laughs> <laughs> excellent answers. Thank you very much. And the final question from me, myself, um, is to Tom actually. So Tom, What's one thing that you've disagreed with Sam about? Just the one, just the one. What's the one thing that you, know, you disagreed with Sam over? Do you mind if I tell you? Because it, it, it's yeah, it's really but the answer has to be has to be a benefit for Tom. It, so Tom, benefit for me. You can answer, but we've only we've only had one disagreement, and to be fair to Tom, I think he'd be under a bit of pressure at the time, and it just sticks in my mind so clearly because. Uh, we were having an argument about uh, a training session we were doing, and uh, I, I obviously made a comment and Tom took it the wrong way. And, uh, I'll, always, I'll always remember his uh, reaction. 
You think of a big match, you've got a massive degree. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you need that on a t-shirt, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> you sort of get printed, don't worry about it. Yeah. We should have that on a t-shirt. You should have that on a t-shirt. Anyway, so what would you say? I'm not sure that was the actual a massive disagreement to be fair. I just... I, I think you're a quick 30 seconds. It's, it's more from a coaching perspective. Because again, you're the younger coach and everyone yeah. with the master's degree, as it is. But has there, has there been a time when like, you've been through right as a younger coach because you've been listened to by your other coaches as well? Or maybe not listened to, but still through right that? Yeah, I don't think we've really had. I think we agree a lot at, at the time. I don't think we've really had any disagreements far back on. Mm. Uh, I'm sure you've been a bit mad. Yeah, yeah I'll leave that there. Uh, but moving forward, obviously, I think the only time. I've had to take a different team, I think, once. You took my under 14 to one game. Uh, me being small, probably I set them up in a way that, that, that let's just say that works that day. You could have easily <laughs> took it upon yourself to say, yeah, that were all me. Uh, to players, but luckily enough, I changed a few things around and you know, Sam, Sam did turn around to players and say it were me. So luckily enough, I can say, as much as players probably didn't like the formation that we're playing because we've not played it, it worked to some degree, so yeah, I don't think it was more of a disagreement because we don't really, I don't think we've really had. We, we've, we've got a very similar philosophy, we're, we're very similar people actually in terms of, we've talked a lot about that, we? Um, but we, we see the game very similar, we've got very similar values, um, very rare that we have a difference between, you might be the odd session plan or uh, you know, the odds you know, playing somewhere in a, in a certain position or certain formation, but we get on really well and uh, you know I can tell you probably as a man who's maybe got three years more experience than Tom, uh, that's not, you don't get that a lot in coaching. Uh, I've experienced a lot of politics, a lot of disagreements, uh, you know, nonsense is what I would call it. So for me personally it's great to you know, be in this environment where very like-minded, see the game similar, we've got similar values, we believe in the same vision as Scott does, um, so like I say it's very rare that we uh, Quite lucky to be fair, because obviously we being older, got a bit more experience, he's done, he's done his masters. Uh, we still have that relationship where if I do come up with something or if I do say something, obviously he does take it on board and, and moves on with it. Uh, but yeah, I think we've never really had far that one, which I'm not speaking about again after today. Anyway, it's time for this. I'll just. Uh, Nasty Tom's, very scary. Don't see the side of Nasty Tom. Um, but no, I'm, I'm itching out at the moment. I think uh, Lee's itching out at the moment to get out of this little kitchen and have a couple of games that we've just been there. As players and as coaches, we don't have to sit down as much. But that's the end of the party, so thank you very much for that. <laughs>